he fell out of the window because he fell asleep while Paul was preaching. You know, and I noticed something last week. I didn't see anybody sleeping as we walked through that text last week. But <laughs> let, me, uh, let me pray for us as we turn to God's word. Our Father in heaven, as we look at your word this morning, give us understanding, O oh God. Anoint our minds to comprehend your word. Father, lead us in all truth by your Holy Spirit this morning. Teach us, God. Fill us, O Lord, so that we might, uh, we might even let, let there be an overflow from our own lives into the lives of others. Lord, I pray that you would guard my lips this morning, and my mouth, my heart, Father, and let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last week we began with living without regret. This week we see part two of living without regret in Acts chapter 20. Our text will be verses 28 through 38. But we saw the perils of falling asleep in church last week. And the reality of that, the spiritual side of that is that, you know, often, perhaps even for some of us this morning, we may physically be awake, but are we spiritually sleeping in the sense of when it comes to our hearts and our minds, our, our souls being affected? Have we grown complacent as, as believers, as Christians? Does God's word still reach deep down in our heart and impact us and affect us and cause transformation? Are we just kind of going through the motions? Then secondly, we saw that Paul challenged the elders... Uh, but he, he called the er, elders of Ephesus to himself and he called them to notice his exemplary model of Christ-centered living. His exemplary model of Christ-centered living. Paul called the elders of, of the Ephesian church to him at Miletus. And then he addressed them and gave them a farewell speech about faithfully living for Christ and as he reminded them of his exemplary model of Christ-centered living, he was pointing them to see that Christocentric living or Christ-centered living should lead to what's called Christotelic living, right? Christ-telling or telling others about Christ. This life that's centered around Christ would then cause us to be vocal about our faith. So twice he reminded the elders in chapter 20. Verse 20 and verse 27, twice he reminded them, I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God's word. This was something that Paul could say in good conscience. And he could say that he was bold and he was faithful to declare God's word to the leaders of the church, but also from house to house, in the, in the main teaching places, in the synagogue, to the hall of Tyrannus. All these places Paul went, he could say that he was bold in sharing the truth of the gospel. What Paul seems to be driving home is that when it comes to the Christian life, we need to learn to live with no regrets. Now we, we quantified or qualified that last week to say that it doesn't mean we live perfect lives, but it means that when we consider the opportunities we have to share the hope of Jesus Christ with others, when Paul considers that, when he looks back on his time in Ephesus, he says, my hands are clean. I, 
I don't have the blood of anyone on my conscience. I've, I've been faithful to share this hope and this truth of the gospel. And the challenge for us was we need to make the most of each opportunity and live spirit-filled lives when it comes to Christ-centered living, Christotelic living, telling others of Christ. Well, in, in keeping with the, the context of last week's sermon and not wanting to put anybody to sleep by going on until midnight, we, we cut it off there and we said we'd pick up this week. And so this week we're picking up with point three, which is point one on the outline. And that's simply this, it's an exhortation to be on guard. So remember, Paul has called the elders to himself, and we're just going to pick up in verse 28 and read through verse 38. Paul has called the elders from the church in Ephesus to meet him in Miletus as he's traveling on his way back to Jerusalem. He's finishing out the third missionary journey, all right? And so that's the context, and we find ourselves in verse 28. He says to the elders... Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise up men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified, among all those, rather, who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. (coughs) Well, Paul gives the elders an exhortation, and that was the exhortation to be on guard. You know, a point worth noting here as we begin in verse 28 this morning is that it's clear from this passage that the church in Ephesus had what 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 we would call a plurality of elders, we see it in verse 17, we see it again in verse 28 and verse 17. He says, call, he called the elders of the church to come and meet him. The elders of the church in Ephesus to come and to meet him. Verse 28, likewise, pay careful attention to, to yourselves, he says, plural, to the elders. And so in, in verses 17 through 27, if Paul was focused then on Christ-centered living, now he turns his attention in some regards, to Christ-centered leading. He uses the metaphor of a shepherd tending the flock. And although we don't, we don't know a lot about a shepherd's role in tending sheep out in the field, we know a little bit, right? I mean, we've, we've read stories. We've seen pictures. We've, we're familiar some with, with the concept as we've read through Scripture. We at least know that the shepherd's job is to care for the sheep that are in his flock. And that certainly is the case in what's put forward in the text this morning. 
the pastors, our elders, are responsible to God to care for his people. That's what he says in verse 28. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. There are three words that Paul uses interchangeably here in chapter 20 that are consequently used interchangeably throughout the rest of the New Testament to describe the office of elder. First, in verse 17, there's this word called pubiteros. I'm sorry, presbyteros, presbyteros. And it just means elder. It's where we get our word for elder from. So when you read elder in the New Testament, you hear this English word, elder, it it most likely references presbyteros. But then there's a second word in verse 28. It's this word episkopos. And episkopos means bishop. I don't normally give a lot of Greek words, but I want you to see how this is laid out. Episkopos means bishop or overseer, and it's used there in verse 28. Uh, The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Uh, But then there's a, a third word, and the third word is this word poiemen, and it means shepherd, shepherd. But here in verse 28, this word for shepherd, it's to care for. It's a verbal form, an infinitive in the Greek New Testament, but it it shows an action. It shows the action of what the elder, the pastor, the overseer is to be about. And these all are kind of synonymously used throughout the New Testament. There's a few noteworthy details that we need to make mention of here in verse 28. First, it's that these elders have been installed by the Holy Spirit. You see that in verse 28, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. It's the Holy Spirit's work. This highlights the special appointment of God-ordained men from within the congregation who are to set apart, who are to be set apart for this noble work. Uh, but it's not a closed group. It's, it's a group of men who are gifted by God and set apart for this task. And so Paul is recognizing this and helping the elders from Ephesus as they come to meet with him. He's, he's kind of handing off the baton here. And he's, he's trying to help them to recognize this is their role and their responsibility with regard to the church and before God. It's a significant role, but I say it's not a closed group because even a few weeks ago, Crosspoint voted to affirm Jim Schof as an elder at Crosspoint, which we are excited about. You know, and my prayer would be that as we move forward in ministry and uh, we see other, that we would see other men who are, called, who are called in this way, who would step up and say, this is how God is calling me. I sense the Holy Spirit leading me in this way to the office of, of elder. The second thing we need to see here is that the flock or the congregation that elders care for, it's not their own, as if the elder owned the congregation, right, or the flock. Uh, the flock, the congregation, the sheep of the pasture, they, they belong to God. They're God's flock. Elders ultimately answer to God for the way that they lead and care for his people. So it says to care for the church of God, right? It's God's congregation. Crosspoint belongs to God. We are God's people. But thirdly, and this is incredible, God purchased these people with his own blood. You see that in verse 28? Let me slow down and look at it. Which he obtained 
with his own blood? Right? As Jesus says in John's gospel, my sheep hear my voice. That is, my sheep hear my voice and and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, Jesus says, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. How's that for eternal security? Can anybody snatch you out of the grip of the Father's hand? Is anybody strong enough to do such a thing? I don't think so. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) She'll learn one day that she's not strong enough and she'll rejoice because of that. Richard Baxter, the Puritan pastor, he wrote a book about his transformation in Christ and his journey as a pastor. And it was a lot different than when he began. At the point that he ended and wrote the book, it was a lot different than what he thought when he began. The book is titled, The Reformed Pastor. Listen to what he said. Just listen. It's old English, so I'll I'll read kind of slow. When this truth gripped him, he said, Oh, then... Let us hear these arguments of Christ. Uh, Let me pause. Also, uh, so this might be directed toward an elder, pastors, but but listen because it's directed. It it can be internalized for more than pastors. It can be internalized for us as responsible for Christ, as as ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right? So listen. Oh, then, let us hear these arguments of Christ. Whenever we feel ourselves grow dull and careless... Did I die for them, and wilt not thou look after them? Were they worth more? Were, were they worth my blood, and are not they worth thy labor? Did I come down from heaven to earth to seek and to save that which was lost, and wilt thou not go to the next door, our street, our village, to seek them? How small is thy labor and condescension as to mine? I debased myself to this, but it is thy honor to be so employed. Have I done and suffered so much for their salvation, and was I willing to make thee a co-worker with me? And wilt thou refuse that little that lieth upon thy hands? This picture that Paul gives the Ephesian elders in verse 28 is a significant picture of their responsibility and their role as elders within the congregation. So maybe one way that you can take even this message or this portion of the message and apply it into your own life would be to think through this and to pray for your elders, to pray for us as pastors as we, that we are gripped with this understanding continuously as we seek to lead and to care for the congregation. But beyond that, notice how verse 28 gives us this incredible picture of the Trinity. It's a Trinitarian picture as well. I mean, the Holy Spirit is installing elders within the church, right? The church itself belonging to God, belonging to God. And and all of this because of what Christ has done, because of Christ shedding his own blood 
for the redemption, the purchase of the church. What an incredible statement of God's provision and His salvation plan for mankind through Jesus Christ and His sacrificial death. So the role of the shepherd, the pastor, the elder, it's to care for God's church. John Stott in his commentary, I put this quote up. Um, so John Stott in his commentary says, In our day, in which there is much confusion about the nature and purpose of the pastoral ministry, and much questioning whether clergy are primarily social workers, psychotherapists, educators, facilitators, or administrators, it is important to rehabilitate the noble word pastors, who are shepherds of Christ's sheep, called to tend, feed, and protect them. This undoubtedly is the role of the shepherd, the pastor, the elder. There are three ways that Paul challenges the elders of Ephesus as he's bidding them farewell. And the first can really apply heavily to us as a congregation, not just to pastors. The first thing he says is to be on guard from within. Be on guard from within. Paul tells Timothy... In the letter that he writes to Timothy, Timothy, who is the lead elder at the church of Ephesus at the time that he's writing to him in the letter of 1 Timothy, it's called the pastoral epistles. And in 1 Timothy 4.16, he says to Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. In other words, he's telling Timothy, Timothy, make sure that you guard your own life, your own walk with Christ. Guard that first, and by doing that, then you'll be able to guard the flock, God's people. Well, in verse 28, to care for the flock is to feed the flock, and that is primarily by teaching them the revealed truth of God's word and about God. The idea is tied up with nourishment that comes from God's word. Just as the pastor or elder is to feed the flock, notice that first he must feast on the truth of God's word for himself. Verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves. But is this not a stern warning that all of us need to heed in our own Christian walk? right, in our own devotional life. Pay careful attention to yourselves, lest we be like Hebrews 6 says, warning against the shipwreck of our faith. Pay careful attention to yourselves, guarding our eyes and our mind, watching closely, paying attention, paying careful attention to what comes in and what goes out. God's word is nourishment for our souls. And for every believer, it's necessary for us to take time to feast on God's word for ourselves. You know, this was one of the great high points uh, and blessings of the Reformation. It's what we've been celebrating as we walk through this Reformation study for this semester in the equipping class. Do you realize that in the 1500s, average everyday men and women who attended church, who called themselves, considered themselves Christian, they couldn't even read God's word. They couldn't even understand the, the service. It was, the mass was in Latin. They couldn't read God's word for themselves and access God's word because it was in 
Latin or Greek or Hebrew. And so they, they couldn't even read it. And so one of the blessings of the Reformation is that we have a copy of God's Word, as it was said earlier. I don't know if it was Andrew or Wes who said it, but we have in our English, in fact, we have multiple English translations, right? And so this is a great blessing, but we as God's people need to make sure that we are reading God's Word. That we, now that we have God's Word in our hands, that we take time to read it and to pray over it so that we, we are nourished in strength. Because when we read God's Word and pray over God's Word, we're nourishing, we're feeding our soul. The Christian feeds his soul, her soul, and grows in Christ when we read and study God's Word. And when we read God's Word, we're also submitting to God's rule over our lives. We're saying that we, we place ourselves under the authority of God's Word when we read God's Word, because I'm assuming that we're not reading God's Word just to say that we've done it, but we're actually reading God's Word so that it changes us and transforms us. When we read God's Word, we're actually saying, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth through us. Because we want to submit to God's Word. Because we want God's Word to change us and to transform us. And so the Good Shepherd cares for His flock. The Good Shepherd is God. Cares for His flock through under-shepherds when they teach God's Word through preaching, through prayer, through pastoral care. These are ways that God has provided for the congregation. So two points of application there. One is recognize that you feed and nourish your soul when you read God's word for yourself. And second, recognize that those who have been given the responsibility of being elders over a congregation, they desperately need your prayer. Secondly, Paul tells the elders to be on guard from without. Be on guard from without. Look at verse 29. I promise we're going to speed up. Look at verse 29. We know, verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Well, we know wolves are the great enemy of the sheep. And Jesus gives a solemn warning, even in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, 7, 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So, Paul's saying, there are those who are going to come in the midst of the flock from without, and they're going to be wolves. They're going to teach false things. They're going to try to destroy and bring dissension and schism within the body of Christ. And Paul's saying, guard against it like a shepherd guards the sheep. Guard the flock of God from false teaching. Now, in Paul's day, this took the form of guarding against itinerant teachers who would travel around from town to town teaching wayward doctrine or some specific nuance and trying to create a schism or draw people away from the church, trying to undermine the authority of the elders within the local congregation. For pastors today, I want you to think about how this applies. This work of guarding God's people from wolves, from false teachers, it's an ever-increasing difficult task. I'm not saying this so that you say, whoa, you know, look, 
look at all that the pastors have to go through. I'm just saying, like, realize the, the spiritual reality and tension that exists here. So in Paul's day, itinerant teachers going around from town to town. In our day, how available are different teachings? Right? Prolific. You can go online and find any podcast you want. You can subscribe to any podcast. You can subscribe to, uh, to anyone's feed on social media. You can listen to any preacher that you want to listen to. You can read just about any article on any topic, doctrinally, theologically, that you want. And you can even find people who are passionately on one side or the other on any given issue. So for pastors today, that's why I say this is a difficult work for guarding God's people. There's no shortage of popular preachers like Joel Osteen who preach feel-good, self-help message but rarely mention Jesus Christ. Our popular worship leaders and teachers like Jen Johnson with Bethel Church who says she views the Holy Spirit like the genie from Aladdin and he's blue. I'm quoting from her, and he's sneaky, and he's silly. And she goes on. Um, but yet, how many people listen to Jesus culture music? And how many people uh, follow pastors like, like those at Bethel Church? And so my point is that we have to be guarded. I'm not saying that all Christian radio is bad, and I'm not saying that all preaching is bad. I'm saying we just have to be guarded. I mean, you've got preachers of prosperity gospel who, who just preach this vile doctrine that, that twists and distorts Scripture so that they can prey upon God's people. <clears throat> you know the way that banks train their tellers to recognize counterfeit bills? They don't give them a bunch of counterfeit bills. They give them a bunch of real bills. So that as they, as they feel and handle and look at and even smell these real dollar bills over time, over time, over time, that whenever a counterfeit comes across their desk, they can recognize it. Because they know what the true thing looks like. And brothers and sisters, that's how it needs to be for us with God's word. We give ourselves so much to it. Reading it, not, not just taking in from others, listening to sermons. That's not self-feeding. We need ourselves to go to God's Word. This is the blessing of the Reformation. We ourselves need to go to God's Word and spend time reading it. We need to read it and study it. I was amazed as I sat and talked with Miss Patsy of just her faithfulness and consistency over the years. I didn't share this yesterday at her memorial service, but... Over the last 32 years, she's made it a practice just to read through the Bible every year. Think about that over the longevity of one's life. Just every year, it's a goal for her, and she would keep it. Just read through the Scripture. For 32 times now, she's read through the Scripture. She was looking forward to making it through this 33rd time and then starting again in January, should the Lord keep her here. So while listening to sermons and podcasts and all of these things are not bad inherently, the most important thing that you and I can do for our spiritual growth and for our soul nourishment is to spend time for ourselves reading the Word of God. There are those who will come 
who will reveal themselves through their false teaching. They'll reveal themselves through stirring up trouble, maliciously speaking against those within the body, trying to cause harm, trying to cause dissension. And we'll recognize them. And those who come from without, we will seek to guard and protect the flock, God's people. But as Christians, we need to make sure that when we're hearing God's word spoken, we're taking that and going back to God's word and we're seeking to grow, to understand how God's word is truly taught in this way. You know, this is one of the reasons that we have this practice as elders to meet with prospective members of Crosspoint. We can talk to them about their salvation in Christ and understand how they understand and know the gospel. It's not to hinder people from joining, it's to protect the body of Christ. The third area in verse 30 is to be be on guard from within the flock. Be on guard from within the flock. Look at what he says. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul's aware that there's going to be those, there'll be others, who seek to undermine the the authority of Christ under shepherds in the church. Maybe even those from among the leadership who would seek to cause division or schism within the body. They could arise from within the flocks, speaking these twisted things, things which are terrible in conversation, things that aren't praiseworthy. They would be ready to spread rumors and to twist things in order to draw a following away and to follow them. These are the pitfalls of human sin, and they're great. And we must keep ourselves in check as well as address the ugliness of sin that arises in our own lives. I think this is why the author of Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The call to be on guard is a heavy call. It's a weighty responsibility. It's one of eternal matters and soul care for the church of God. And ultimately, it's an exhortation to care for God's people whom he has purchased with his own blood. It's one that will involve tears, hurt, anguish, searching out those who easily go astray, but it's an eternal work that God calls and equips for. Church, I know that you pray for me, you pray for Wes, you pray for Andrew, we're the paid pastors on staff, but let me, let me encourage you, if you don't already, to pray for David and to pray for Al and to pray soon for Jim, as he, and even now as he's in the process of, of being uh, instituted at Crosspoint as an elder, as a pastor. Because this is the reality, though... I've received cards and gifts uh, this, uh, this year for Pastor Appreciation uh, Month. You know, we're all a team of pastors here. Uh, all of these men are pastors within the body. And this is what God's Word lays out. So as you think about this text and how it applies to us as believers... Let me exhort you and encourage you that this is the way it applies, that we would take God's word 
as a church, as individual believers, that we would take time and spend time reading God's word. It's okay if you don't understand everything that you're reading. It's even okay if you read the same book for the next 30 days. It will only help to reinforce and and encourage you to know God's word more faithfully. And it will transform you. And so take God's word and read it and spend time studying it. The last point for us to see this morning is the growth plan for Christ's church. We see it in verses 32 through 38. And in verse, really it's verse 32 and verse 35. In verse 32, Paul says, And now, as he's leaving, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Listen to how he describes this. Which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. First, I want you to note the centrality of Scripture. Scripture plays such a central role in Paul's theology and and his direction and instruction for the church, and so should it play in our lives. Scripture ought to be central in the child of God's life. He says, I commend you to the word, uh, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. In other words, Paul's saying to the elders, I'm entrusting you to God and to his word. Ultimately, Paul knows that God sovereignly cares for, is the great shepherd, the good shepherd, over his people. But he does that through under shepherds. And Paul's now saying to the elders, you, you're no longer under my oversight, but you're under God's. And it's, it's God's word which will instruct you and build you up. It's God's word that will teach you. And Christian, we need to understand the role and the place of God's word in our lives. How it builds us up. How the word sanctifies us and transforms us. It cleanses us and washes us, as Paul says in Ephesians, at the, in Ephesians chapter 5, that it's the word of God that, that washes us. And it prepares us for the inheritance of eternal life. <clears throat> the second point under, under this last section is the sacrifice of gospel ministry. As we consider the growth plan for Christ's church, there is the centrality of Scripture which God's people cannot grow if we're not prioritizing and centering Scripture in our lives. That's just, that's right, that's 101. Right? If we want to know what God says, and know who God is, we must look into his word. But secondly, the sacrifice of gospel ministry. Notice what Paul says. I didn't covet anyone's silver or gold in verse 33. My hands ministered to, to my necessities. And the reason Paul was doing this is because he, he didn't want them to say, you're just, you're just trying to profit off the church. What you're teaching, you, you really don't mean. And so in verse 35, he says, In all these things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. What I think Paul's getting at here is there's a sacrifice that comes with gospel ministry. There's a financial sacrifice. There's a sacrifice of our time. And I think we need to be careful that we're not so busy with everything else that we miss what God wants to do through us in the moments where he brings us. Right? Because we become so busy, so scattered, that we just look from one, we jump from one thing to the next without even considering how God is working in our midst and wanting to work through us in the present situation that he's placed us. 
So I think what we see here is Christ-empowered ministry, the community, uh, reaching out to the community, seeking to evangelize the community, caring for the weak, those who are disenfranchised, those who maybe are marginalized by society. We participate with the offerings and food collection for Louisiana Baptist Children's Home, even open up our facility for them to have some training events here. We've, we've, uh, we've also partnered with Uplift Adoption in very similar ways. And as we go to St. Vincent de Paul, uh, one of our home groups, we, we bring not only warm food, but we bring the food of God's word and we share the gospel with, with the ladies and children at St. Vincent de Paul. You know, as, as a congregation, there are ways that we are seeking to, to engage, sacrificially even, for the gospel ministry. I, was, I received an email this week uh, from... A miscarriage ministry. Many of you may not even know that we have a miscarriage ministry here, but there was a there was an email that came in from uh, a couple that received one of the gift baskets that we give out to uh, to those who have had miscarriages through the hospital. And the email says this: "Hello, my name is, and my husband's name is. I was just discharged from Woman's Hospital after having an outpatient procedure to complete my miscarriage of my first pregnancy." We received a gift from the hospital and realized that it had come from Cross Point Baptist Church. You don't realize how much this gift of love means to my husband and I. We appreciate you sharing this journey of recovery with us. God always sends us people to remind us that he has our back even during the most difficult times. We see the love of God through your ministry and will continue to pray that God gives you what is needed to continue to do his will. Through prayer and immersing ourselves in the word, we will get through this. Thank you again. The challenge for us, church, as a congregation is to engage in ways of sacrificial gospel ministry. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And if you've given sacrificially for the cause of Christ, I'm thinking that you know this blessing to be true in your own life. What I want us to see is this is the way that Paul is saying, here's how the church grows. Here's how the church is increasing. It's through guarding the flock, through God's people being in the word, and through letting that change us so that we are then impacting others, even sacrificially through the gospel ministry through sharing the love of Christ with others. Well, I want to close in prayer this morning and invite you to consider how is the Lord Jesus working through you sacrificially to give to the gospel ministry, to minister to others? Are you, a student of God's word, really giving yourself to reading God's word so that you know it? Won't you pray with me? Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we consider your word this morning, your word is powerful and sharp. Sharper than a double-edged sword, it pierces deep down within us and even reveals areas in our lives that are, that are not under your control, but still under our control. And Lord, your desire is that we would give those things over to you and experience the joy that comes from it. 
I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning that each of us, Lord, would consider how to reorganize our schedule so that we make time to spend in your word. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a holy desire to spend more time in your word so that we know you more. And Lord, make us more sensitive to how you want to use us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us stand and worship the Lord together.